Welcome to The Rebellious Investor, the podcast that cuts through all the noise surrounding investing, property, mindset, and building your successful life. Let's get into it. Come on, man. <laughs> Dancing is allowed. <laughs> so, Ray, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm fantastic. Yourself? Very, very well. Mate, final run into Christmas. You looking forward to a bit of a break? Yeah, I really am. I'm really looking forward to taking a break. Mate, I haven't had a break all year. Uh, Claudia and I are really looking forward to taking some time off, spending a lot of time down at the beach and just really just recharging the batteries to get into uh, 2022. So important to do that, it really is. It really is. So we've got Joel, yeah. Joel Brown, great last name. Thank um, you. Oh, I that usually, just clicked. <laughs> No relation of, that we know of thus far, but we may unpack that later on. <laughs> <laughs> so when I typically uh, introduce a guest, I introduce their name and what they do, but Joel doesn't actually do anything. Sounds like you, Matt. <laughs> well, I try to do the least amount possible, <laughs> but I have to actually still do some things. Yeah. So Joel, mate, give us the, the background. Like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm 24. So pretty young, the youngest guest on the podcast so far, I, I'm pretty sure. Thus yeah. far, yeah. Yeah, thus far, thus far. Probably not, you know, <laughs> uh, in the future. But um, so backstory about me. Well, um, I've been on the beaches my whole life um, and I developed a love and passion for innovation and technology from a young age um, and quite gifted at mathematics and science. I love that stuff. Um, so I, and also I'm, I'm, <laughs> was a gymnast as well. <laughs> so quite a, like an uncommon, uh, combo, so to speak. Um, so I did gymnastics. Mum got me into that when I was about five years old, did that, um, till I was 21 competitively, uh, made many good friends along the way. And whilst doing that, um, for the last few years studied maths and physics at Sydney uni. Yeah. Just a science degree. And my, and my dad was always like, what, what job are you going to get with that? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know, I'll do research or something like that. That's what generally what people go in to do. But um, yeah, about halfway through my degree, I decided, bugger that. <laughs> I don't want to do research because um, I am terrible at writing papers. Mm -hmm. And I, I love doing experiments, love working in a lab and all that. But when it comes to like your bookkeeping and spending, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but it's a lot of time spent writing papers, you know, like... When I did my honours um, in 2019, one of like my you know first days there, I was speaking to one of the PhD students, and he was like, uh, "I like writing this paper," and I was like, "Oh, how long have you been working on that?" He's like, "A year." <laughs> like writing it, he's like, "Yeah, I've just been editing it for like the last nine months. I've been like submitting it to a journal, it gets rejected, submitted and rejected, and I'm just like." Okay, yeah, cool, and I'll just get back to what I'm doing. But that that, that just stuck in my mind, and I was like, "No." not going to happen like wasn't your thing wasn't my thing like you know I, I i love like being in the lab and and doing and this this is a really cool lab right lasers and everything like we're working on um quantum computing well that's what the group was trying to do like this is like very very powerful stuff it's yes. super early days though like it's not even close but like it in theory super, super powerful. someone has to work on it so that we get there exactly yeah. yeah and very very smart people working there um i was very humbled because you know, um, they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, you know? And I definitely was not, so I was in the right room, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so, and that was, it was so, much, so much fun. I did my honors project and I left. And whilst um, 
through uni actually about my second year through which was 2016 no third year 2017 i started looking into crypto uh it was my, my first thing you know and uh and I, I was working at woolies at the time doing night fill great job for a kid yeah um yeah pretty fit too you know yeah it's tough stuff uh but you know earning a a, a, a a decent wage for a you know 19 20 year old um and i had three grand and i into crypto and all i thought was like wouldn't it be so cool if i could just double my money and this is the, to give you a timestamp, december 2017 right and if you look at the if you take bitcoin as a proxy yep it went like so that parabolic chart yeah and then very shortly after went like that and i mean i didn't actually buy bitcoin i was in like ripple and you know a bit of litecoin like all these like other ones that you know i had i knew nothing right i was having a good time all i wanted to do was double my money came so close and then nah. <laughs> and then i tr i was like doing some research and like looking on online forums and people are talking about monero and all these other coins they're gonna like hard fork and you're gonna like get two and i was like oh, sounds like free money anyway and i was and i was trading around those coins and but i was never gonna stay up at like three in the morning watching it like i need to sleep too anyway i woke up the next morning i lost 80 percent of everything so i traded around and i essentially turned three grand into about 50 bucks <laughs> excellent learning experience mm -hmm. good to do that with three thousand and not three million exactly <clears throat> and that kind of uh moves into about six months later is when i decided i'm done with crypto like it may be good and for other people it's like cool whatever i'm gonna do go into the stock market um and i had a little bit of help from my dad who had done a bit of investing um hadn't you know over his career and he was an accountant um and unfortunately got burnt during the dot-com bubble and i think the gfc as well so overall he wasn't up over his investing career. He had made some good investments, you know, like CSL, um, stuff like that, but only on the Australian Stock Exchange, but I had bigger ambitions than that. Um, I wanted to go onto the American Stock Exchange, you know, the NASDAQ, um, because this is where it ties back into like the passion for technology and innovation, you know. I, I was never gonna be this kind of person that just put you know, their, their money into this nice diversified portfolio and have their like calculated percent returns and all that. Because as, as a kid in the 21st century, you have nothing, right? Like you can't buy a house, like, like property's ridiculous, you know, like if you're lucky, you can work a lot and then work, like work really, really hard, save up some money, figure out how to get a mortgage and do all that. And it's like, you know, leverage yourself that way. But, you know, kids these days are being a bit smarter, but also re more reckless and just going all in big on, on the stock market. You know, for a lot of them, it doesn't work. But um, for me, I found Tesla. And I didn't even know, I didn't even think about investing in it. You know, this is like, I was looking at it since like, actually the date, March 31st, 2016. You know what's special about that date? That was the iPhone moment of the automotive industry. Remember January 20, 2007, Steve Jobs walked on stage at uh, Macworld and he's like an iPod, an internet communicator, a phone. An iPod, an internet communicator, a phone. And he's like, you're getting it yet. This is one device. Yeah. It's like, 
you know? And so that moment happened again, March actually 30th in America, 2016. Elon Musk took the stage and unveiled the Model 3, uh, which I actually have at the moment. Nice, It's nice. fantastic, it's, it's an absolute dream. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people have one too, and they love it. I speak to, if I see people, I give them a wave, I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, I, and if I ever cross paths with someone, I say, and they're like, oh, how is it? It's great, you know? Um, but yeah, that was the moment. And I was like sitting at home as a 21 year old on the couch. And it was like nighttime. I was like flicking through YouTube on the Apple TV. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. Like I've heard of this Tesla, you know, like being a kid in Australia and it's an American company. Like there weren't many here. I had, you know, um, but I, I watched it. It's like 30 minutes. And I just distinctly remember going, wow, wow, wow. And it wasn't even, it was like, at Tesla, we don't make slow cars. This is the safest car. This is, and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, that's to me aesthetically pleased. Like, I like the look of it, you know? And that moment sort of kickstarted my interest in looking into Tesla. Still at this point, no investments. And I hadn't even thought about stocks at this point. This is even well before my crypto. I spent a year and a half, each morning I'd wake up and I'd go onto some online, um, Electric was actually the website. And you can read um, like stories about renewable energy and Tesla and other electric vehicle stuff. And I watched a video 2018 where these people, these two guys, the father and son, were talking about their investments and like, oh, the stock's down and they're like trying to say, oh, why is it potentially down? And then it was like, oh, I can actually invest in this. Oh, okay. So I went on to Westpac, the bank that I'm with, and I was like, oh, they do international, cool. Filled out the form, rejected, filled it out like five times because it's so precise when you have to do an international one, this like tax document. It's like, if you make a scribble, it's like, nope, new yeah. form. <clears throat> and then I had, after losing everything crypto, bought it all back, um, you know, to like 4,000. And I was like, boom, I bought 10 shares. Like, yes, this is, this is exciting because these are now real units in a real company, mm. you know? And that was like, okay, I'm actually part owner in this company. And it was fantastic. Um, and this is sort of why I'm going through uni. And then 2019, I was like working and like buying another share, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and then so... I ended up finishing my degree and I had um, bought all these the shares and it was like, and this is right at the moment, at the end of 2019, when Tesla really like pff, took off, you know? And I even said to like, I was at my friend's place one day and I said to him and his mom, I was like, I think I'm gonna make a career change here, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, the and so now I'm just, you know, an investor. Let's, you know, let's say that, um, but not the traditional kind, I work for myself. Uh, from home, it's all research. I don't trade. If you're a trader, then you um, then good luck to you. I hope that it works out for you because it's very difficult. Um, I've even tried little bits here and there, and it's like it just never works. Like unless you just get lucky, buying and selling and buying and selling. Like you've got an emotion to the side, you know. Um, and I, I, I will admit, I'm a I'm a bit emotionally invested in Tesla as well. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic company and. That's what I do, you know? So whilst, you know, strictly speaking, like what, what like people ask, oh, what do you do for work? I'm like, oh, how do I explain, you know? But the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I'm on Twitter and I'm reading what happened over the, cause I'm, you know, America's a few hours different. Like there's so much stuff happened. Reading that onto YouTube, listening to podcasts, interviews, all this sort of stuff. Like, just like, I'm like a parasitic learner. I'm just absorbing information all the time, you know? Um, because my investment is super long-term focused, you know, which is, I guess, a good place to be. You know, that's very different from a lot of young people that you do talk to. The whole approach that you've got, Joel, is very different. 
you know, and I think one of the reasons why crypto has taken off so much, especially amongst the that younger end of the millennial spectrum or the Gen Z, you know, that younger crowd, is because it's a little bit like the Wild West. So going in and thinking they're going to just speculate and come out and make a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet your approach is quite different, which is you really do your research. And I love what you said before when you said you're an owner in the business. And, you know, you know, I mean, man, that just resonates with me because that's, you know, how I like to look at things at the same time, whether it be property or any type of thing that I invest in is that level of that sense of ownership and that you've done your homework and you can see the potential and the value and the growth and the, where it's going, the leadership behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a long term strategy, which yeah. is exactly like, you know, because typically my background is investing in property mm-hmm. um, and that just really resonate have you always been that way or you know did you have did you have to work through that uh, especially at that age that natural you know where you just want things now and you want to experience it now and and how did you get over that to have this long I have term? that too you have that too yeah. <laughs> um, so you are normal yeah, yeah I'm normal um, uh, my, my first mistake well not my first mistake but a mistake and I only realized it after oh by the way I learned the hard way yep Right. Will do, brother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've all done that. Um, I, I always think like, oh, like what's because you know a lot of people don't know this, like especially a lot of young people. But no one likes paying tax, right? Like if you've ever what? paid it, right? A lot of young people have never actually paid it, right? And they all think, <laughs> why do these rich people try and avoid? It's like they just don't get it. How about you pay it once, pay a decent amount of money once, and and it, gone, and then you realize, ah. Yeah, I don't want to do that, you know. If 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 I could walk outside and see perfect, you know, like perfect roads, um, have a fantastic medical system, fantastic education, you know, if all that was just if that's where my my, my tax dollars were going, I'd be I'd be happy. You know, I'd be like that's worth it, you know. But I walk outside, I'm driving yesterday, I'm like, "Oh god, I just went through over this massive <laughs> pothole." Like, "Oh, inside I was like, "Oh, I think I just wrecked my tire." Anyway, but my like you know, we're always trying to like figure out how can we, you know, um, minimize the amount of tax that we pay through, you know, legitimate deductions and all this and, and going through to a great accountant. And But with me, um, 20, early 2020, when the, the the stock market sort of had a flash crash due to the, the COVID you know, pandemic um, and it recovered shortly after, a lot of my positions were, you know, down at the time on paper. And I thought to myself, hmm, if I sell some of them now and lock in a loss and then I rebuy them and then I can I can offset and I was like sweet and I did it and then the next day I was having a look online and I'm like oh the government's already thought of that <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't work and in the process I paid a lot of commission and I lost a little bit of money because of that commission I didn't I was like I don't want to if I sold 20 I might have only bought back 19 you know because like Westpac terrible with commissions right it's like, um yeah, so you learn the hard way. When I bought my car, I was like, in cash, there you go. There's the, there's the, and then later I was like, oh, like I should have just financed it, you know what I mean? Like, and then I could have just held onto that cash and, and been doing something more productive with it. Oh, well, there you go, you know. I learned the hard way, you yeah. know. Look, yeah. in life, uh, it's a journey of learning, but I love how you said that you're a parasitic learner. Yeah. Like, that is a phenomenal way to view yourself and also view the world because we don't know what we don't know. 
And sometimes the, well, it's not the best way to learn, but most of the time when you learn the biggest lessons is when you've made a big mistake beforehand. Mm. Um, but it sounds like you have sort of gone down this path predominantly on your own. You, had, you said you still had a bit of um, mentorship from your dad, him being an accountant. Mm -hmm. So have you had any other mentors that have sort of helped frame the way that you think this way? Because for me, us listening to the way that you speak, mm. uh, you have a lot of wisdom for, a, for a, we would say, a younger generation. Gentlemen? Yeah, yeah. younger than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely have a mentor um, who, his name is Bradford Ferguson in America. Never actually met him in person, but I, I came in contact with him on Twitter and he was um, instrumental in teaching me about uh, options, stock options, which were, uh, which are and continue to be the, uh, an excellent form of leverage for me. Not so much actually anymore. I'm, I'm sort of de-levering as I, you know, I don't need to anymore. Um, but, and he was teaching me, like I'd just gotten into it and I learnt by doing, you know, and I got a bit lucky the first little time with a little bit of money and it like, you know, went up a lot and I was like, cause I, I'd calculated how it should return, you know, like, like if, if, if happens, then what should happen? But then I was looking at my portfolio and it just went up more and I was like and more and more and I was like ah oh, like this is ridiculous you know and then I randomly commented on on one of his uh, tweets and then he messaged me and he's like do you want to chat about options you know and he taught me about call ladders and stuff and and he even gave me the confidence to make a very very ballsy move which was to sell all of my stock and put it all into stock options which for those who aren't aware Basically, you have a date when you you will know if you've lost everything by that expiry date, right? It's, it's pretty unnerving. A lot of people say, never make directional bets with options. Well, what did I do? I made a complete one-way directional bet, you know, but I rationalized it too much. And these were, these were leaps, long-term equity anticipation securities, which is a fancy way of saying an option with an expiry of a year or more. Hopefully two, the longer the better, you know, because I thought to myself, with all the research that I've done, if this, if, if say for example, Tesla stock is not at this point by in two years time, I'm just wrong and I deserve to lose my money, <laughs> right? Because bear in mind, 2014 to 2019, we traded in a range. It was like this, 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 mm. this, this, this. And a good way to look at it was like, the business was like a volcano about to erupt. It had been making steady progress, steady but fast progress, and the market was just caught in the FUD. Like there was this analyst come on, it's like, nah, nah, this is, they're gonna go bankrupt, all this, ah, oh, the demand, it's just like, okay, whatever, like idiot, all right? Like, and all the retail people like myself, like the kids and then the people who just all in, it's like, ain't no diversifying, like all in, because it was so clear. And it continues to be so clear. And so I was like, look, I'm happy. And I put about one sixth of my shares originally. I sold them and, and bought these long-term options. And I thought, if I'm wrong, like, great. You know, like, because I need to learn what, how could I have been so blinded? You know, I've done that much research over years. And then about a month later, I got in contact with Brad and he's like, yeah, I have all my stuff in options. And I'm like, oh, I could do that too. <laughs> originally, I was like, no. That's that's like that that's like oh, it doesn't feel right to just risk everything, you know, like on a on an expiry date time frame, right? But then after he said it, I was like, 
I don't even know what the thought process was, but it's crazy. Were you um, selling any options against your long-term position, like through like a calendar spread, or you were just buying long and just... Buying long and holding. Interesting. Stock goes up 100%, hold, 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 hold. There was one moment though in February where um, my portfolio doubled when I woke up in the morning because the American stock market trades overnight. And like I said, I'm not a trader, I get my sleep. Yeah, you know, which is good. This is the, the good thing about being a long-term investor. I don't need to watch it. I check it at the night. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to be up. Cool, sleep. Um, woke up in the morning, but I decided to wake up one hour early. I normally wake up at eight in the morning. Got up at seven. The stock market closed at eight, and I looked at it and I was like, Nah, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this was a this was a Tuesday morning, so Monday trading session in America. For context, Friday trading session the previous week, the stock closed up 20%. Doesn't just happen. I was like, okay. It's not too weird. It's pretty weird, but seven. In the, I woke up seven in the morning, the stock's up another 20%. Dad had left for work. I phoned him. I was like, but no, sorry, I should say. I looked at my portfolio because it was all in options, plus 100%. I phoned him and I was like, I cannot watch this all disappear in front of my eyes. So I looked at my shorter term options, which is about a third of my portfolio, which were actually was all the ones expiring in the year 2020. So this is February, 2020, sold them. Two minutes after I sold, the stock dropped 13%. Wow. And it wasn't, it was, it was pure market manipulation. There was stop loss orders. It wasn't like that. It was, That was an eye-opening experience for me. And then a few days later, I bought a little bit back in. I was like, yeah. Day trader. (laughs) I timed that perfectly. It's exactly what I'm not supposed to be doing. (laughs) Exactly. But everyone has a, a certain point where they're just like, I gotta lock something in at these levels. Everyone does, you know? Um, And for some people, it might be way earlier and you might miss the rest, you know, but you never sell everything, but you trim, you know, but, and I haven't really done it since because I was like, don't need to, that's fine. But, and, but since then I've never had a plus a hundred percent because I was really leveraged back then. And now it's sort of less leverage, but I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at, you know? Um, but that was a massive learning experience as well. And that was also the day I bought my car too. <laughs> I phoned up one of my best mates and I was like, bruh. And because I'd also, I'd also um, uh, gotten him in it as well. Um, and also to another rebellious thing that I did, which I bet you've never heard anyone do this before, right? Um, it was December a, few, a month ago. And I was telling, we were getting coffee and I was like, mate, you gotta, like, you have like a few thousand, he works at a pharmacy. Uh, he got a few thousand dollars, like, you got to start buying some shares. Or even better, buy some options with me. And he's like, I don't know. So I said to him, okay, I'll give you a thousand dollar risk-free loan. Anything it makes is yours. I want my grand back. And I said to him, in a month, like, I'll try and make you 10 grand. About a month later, I gave him his 10 grand. <laughs> nice. 
right? Like, but but that is also the power of options. So, did exactly. you want to explain uh, to our listeners what the difference is between owning the equity itself mm-hmm. and then actually an option contract and how all that works? Cool. Yeah, I should have explained that at the start, but I didn't. <laughs> but I will now. You, you were telling such yeah. an amazing story. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt yeah. you, but so, we're, so we're trying to also uh, teach some of our. Sorry listeners if I'm rambling a little. No, 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 no. This is amazing. It's amazing. So. Uh, an option, there are two types, call options and put options, right? Call option, you're betting a stock will go up. So if you're positive, you buy a call option, put option, uh, betting it will go down. An option is essentially a right to acquire or sell, being call or put, um, 100 shares, always 100, of a stock at a predetermined price on or before a predetermined date. So in the US, you do have options contracts with 100 stock. In Australia, it's actually 1,000. Is that right? It is. There you go. Keep, okay. Keep going. Um, yep. Um, and uh, you can exercise these options, which means actually buying the shares at that certain time, any time before the expiry, but European style options is actually only on the expiry day. Learned that. Um, but you, and essentially what you're doing is you're, you're, and you can have this in property as well. Like it's not just stock, but like mostly on the stock market. Um, and you have to pay a premium for this, right? Because you're saying, let's let's give an example. Um, shares in in some company ABC, um, and the, the share price is fifty dollars. And you're gonna buy a you're making a directional bet. I think it's gonna get to uh, seventy dollars by in a year's time. Um, and I have the right to buy them at seventy dollars. You know. Um, and even if it goes to $200 by some miracle, you can lock in your $70, right? And so that, that, that right is worth something and that's your premium. So it might be a couple of dollars per share times that by the multiplier, which is a hundred or a thousand, depending on if it's Australia or America. Um, and that's how much you pay for that option. And then that option has that value. So, if, and it's in the per share. So if it's like a $2 per share, you have to pay as your premium. That's kind of like your stock price for that option. You can watch that move. And you can, if it goes up and you make a lot of money, um, uh, you can sell that option just like you sell shares. Or you can exercise that option, which means front up the cash, which is 100 shares times the $70, $7,000. And now you own the actual 100 shares, right? But the reason why options provide such great leverage is, for example, $50 share price, $70 strike price. Um, if the stock quadruples to $200 per share, an unlikely event, but you buy it at 70, your option is now worth $130, but you bought it for $2. Two to 130 is 50, yeah. 65, 65 times gain. Or if you bought the stock, you made four times your money. There's your leverage, Yeah. right? So yeah, with options, it gives you the ability to be able to leverage into much larger positions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are going to think about trading options, it is not for the faint-hearted. It is a very advanced strategy and you have to have a thorough understanding of not only how the share market and the economy works, but also how options work and options contracts. You've got to learn all about the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know anything about that, then don't even think about going and trading options. There's a lot of work you Please, need yeah. to go and do before you go and implement this strategy. But I just love how let just grab this with like two hands and just yeah. dive straight in. Like I said, uh, and, and other people will look at me and say, like, you have a very high risk tolerance. And from the outside, it certainly looks like that, but I don't even view it like that because once, if it may be for anything, but once you do your research, that's key. You're, you, in, inside you're feeling like it's not even that risky. Like on paper, it obviously looks incredibly risky, but you're like, I'm that confident, you know? But man, like unless you've done that research, like it, 
really have to be careful. Well, it's like anything, you know, whether it be, you know, taking an option in the share market or even property, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know property. And so if I'm going to take a contract out or an option agreement out on a property, it's because I know mm. that there is something that can happen to add value that's going to justify the price that I've negotiated exactly. and give me the potential mm. to maybe sell it for even more once that value add process has been done. Yeah. The thing is, I've done my homework. I haven't just rocked up and went, I think it's going to go up. Exactly. So I'll buy that. Yeah. And that's when a lot of people can get, they, they get into the hurt locker and leverage to, because they can see how mm. it can accelerate yeah. your gains and the mm-hmm. returns, but at the same token, it can yeah. move the other way. And that's where people think yeah, it's I mean, I, I definitely recommend people like read up on it and learn because, and not, not you don't have to buy doing, but because there are option strategies for anything. For it that's goes right. up, goes down, stays flat. Yep. You can you can pick up premium if volatility is high. Like mm. if the, for, what I mean by that is like if the market is, you know, either going to move in any direction, yep. all options just have an inflated price because the likelihood is that yeah. something's going to happen, yep. and so you pay yep. for it. Remember, there's no free money. Yeah. Right. You there is everything is priced in, right? Or the the efficient market theory or whatever yeah. is like everything yep. is like properly priced in. You know. Theory. But, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> this is completely not the case. Otherwise, you know, Tesla would have been a lot higher before I bought it. But anyway, um, so. Yeah. yeah, with man, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Uh, a professional gymnast. Cool. Let's talk what, about that, uh, mate. What was it like growing up being a professional gymnast? So I, I played a little bit of sport when I was a, a younger man. I played soccer, did athletics, did a whole different things. I was busy, mm. but I knew a couple of um, people who were gymnasts, and all they did was gym and school and gym and gym and gym and gym. And gym. What was that like? A lot of fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, elite gymnast, not professional. Um, I didn't get paid for it. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, anyway, this is an yep. epic. Um, just for anyone want anyway. Uh, um, so I started when I was four. Yeah, just um, born in March, so beginning of the year. Yeah, four and three quarters ish. You know, mum got me into it. Uh, she was a gymnast herself, and. Throughout our teenage years, she absolutely loved it. And there was a gym, you know, close to home. Got into it, did like recreation. I showed a bit of talent, progressed into like a pre-competitive um, group. I was in there for like three years and I just really started to sort of get bored of this, you know, because like there was no progress. But then we had a new manager come in from a different club and he sort of scouted me and moved me into the competitive program. And I jumped to level four straight away. It was my first competition when I was 10 years old, 2007. 1997, that's your... It's my birth year, so um, yeah, and I did yeah four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, competed for New South Wales for ten years, the national championships. Represented Australia one time. That was a good one. Congratulations, nice. um, yeah. you. Um, but you're exactly right. It was school, gym, school, gym, school, gym. Um, didn't have much social life outside. I mean, my weekend started at ten thirty on a Saturday morning. You know, everyone's like after school on a Friday, you know, but me, I was like gym four to seven, gym seven in the morning, Saturday morning. It's just like, Mm. oh, I could do on Friday night. was like watch a movie, you know, which was fun, you know, with, with, you know, dad and my brothers, like that's always good fun. Um, But hard work, so difficult. Like you just, you really, and the friends really got me through it. Like it was super social as well. And we had a very unique dynamic where... Um, there was like seven of our similar aged guys 
going all the way for like eight years in this same group. No one left, everyone stayed, and we were just having an absolute blast. Um, very difficult, a lot of strength work. I was always very weak as a kid. I was very flexible. So I was good at the swinging stuff and not good at the strength stuff. So I could kind of just get by. And I have very good aerial awareness, which what it would helped a lot. Ray, how's your aerial awareness? My aerial awareness is off the charts, mate. When I'm catching a wave, I have no idea where I'm going in the air, but I land pretty well in the water every time. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, yeah, the board goes flying in the air. I think it's a different type of aerial oh, awareness. Sorry. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So with that type of discipline required from a very, very young age, from the age of four, how do you think that that has shaped who you are now? It's a very good question. I often don't give it enough credit. Um, very disciplined, like at the start of the session, line up shortest to tallest, stand there, you know, listening to your coach. If you don't, it's like 30 V snaps, you know, it was just like, it was like military almost, you know, but as a kid, you just kind of just do it. Um, and then, you know, training up towards a competition, it was like super rigorous, like, you know, we, we had a, obviously a bit of a program moving from like apparatus to apparatus and like training six apparatus is, is pretty tough, you know, like, cause they're all very, very different. Um, and it was like routines, 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 like just boom, boom, so much practice. And so you like, you get to the competition and it's like, this is your warm up time. You go around like, and you only have like, essentially with the amount of people in your sort of group, like, and there's like 10 minutes per thing, you might only get one or two touches warm up, right? So you've just kind of really got to know what you got to do and everything. Um, and it was, it was super competitive. Um, in Australia, we're actually not really that good, but um, and compared to other countries, like if you go to China and Japan, they like steal kids from their parents when they're like four until they're like twenty. That's how you get good yeah. at a sport, right? And this is all sports, yeah. but um, yeah, a, a lot of discipline. And I naturally am like I listen to older people, like parents, my gym coach, like I like a parasitic learner, I'm just absorbing and I'm rebellious in some ways, but I, I do value experience and, and people's, and so I'm, I'm listening and, I, and I, I do what I'm told, right? You know, and, and so I'm naturally, I guess, more of a, a like Play-Doh for discipline. Like I can be sort of, especially from a young age, like crafted more like that. So I, I do have this natural discipline um, and mental strength, you know, like, just pushing through like sometimes you're just like oh, i really want to give up you know but mm. just pushing through and then the, the, the little the little immediate uh hits of dopamine was yeah. like when we got to play on the trampolines you know like that was <laughs> that's my absolute favorite some people are at home on a skateboard or a surfboard or a snowboard or a, with a tennis racket in their hand you know they're just an absolute natural like mm-hmm. you know i'm at home on a trampoline as soon as i start bouncing and it's got to be a good trampoline you know like like no one's riding one foot waves here when they're an expert, <laughs> they, they want something good. Um, and I just bounce onto a trampoline and it's just like, whew, I'm just at home and it's like flippy one, flippy two, spinny, spinny, you know. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew because it looks so much fun, but I absolutely do not know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for mum getting me into it as a kid. Um, gymnastics is a sport that the discipline and the strength, it translates into everything, you know? Um, and, and, and I did also play soccer as a kid. I was never really that good, but I did it till I was 10. And then with gymnastics, it's really like goodbye, everything else. Like mm. it has to be that one thing. But a lot of people go from gymnastics to anything like aerial skiing or footy or mm-hmm. 
because there's so much foundational core strength just about everywhere in your body that with a little bit of fine tuning to a new sport, it can translate really, really well. Yeah, I put both of my kids into gymnastics when they were young. So they really? went in from sort of three, four into that junior gymnastics and then uh, worked their way through. Mm. Um, but they don't do gymnastics anymore. They're more into uh, jujitsu and, and soccer wow. and other things yeah. now. But um, especially when young kids are just learning how to move and how their body works. Mm. I just found that when they started doing gymnastics, they just could just do things simpler. Yeah. You know, they just had an uh, ease of ability to be able to, you know, climb things and, and jump off things and, yeah. and just, you know, they just looked like they fell a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. A little bit more gracefully. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it's like we were talking about before earlier, you know, the whole mechanics of how the body works. And, you know, growing up, when you see little kids, they're squatting by the beach, they're sitting in this, you know, squat position, naturally playing in the sand. And as we get older, we don't do that as much. Everything starts to not work the way it's supposed to work. Mm. But it's like when you when you understand the foundation of anything, mm. and that's right, mm-hmm. then everything else just works a whole lot easier. Yeah. And so whether it comes to investing, whether it be the equities, crypto, property, whatever it is, if you invest that time, mm. like you said, a parasitic learner, mm. in getting There's a the, funny story there the as well. fundamentals, the foundations right. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up, it's up, upwards from there. Yeah. Have you, if you ever been, sorry, if you ever been to like a, a physio and then you, you know, you got some sort of pain and they, they ask you, oh, just, just stretch that. You know, I was even by my physio the other week and he was like, you wouldn't believe the amount of people who just don't know how to stretch a certain part of their body. And being a gymnast, <laughs> the first forty-five minutes of our three-hour session, I'd just be sitting on my ass, just stretching <laughs> and having a chat. You know, like yeah. we are the most lazy yeah. athletes. But it's kind of like the most intense 30 seconds when you're on, and it's like five minutes off, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, kind of like lifting weights. It's like heavy set, break for five minutes, you know? But um, like people just don't know how to move their body. And so it's yes. so like you can just, you just, oh, that hurts. I'll just figure out a new stretch for, to stretch that. It's like, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and when it comes to health, you can really break it down into those sort of three pillars of, you know, cardiovascular fitness, strength, and Mm. also mobility or flexibility. Mm -hmm. And when you can have a balance of all three of those things, that in my very humble view is the ultimate in health that you can can get to. Flexibility is so important. Like if you're flexible, flexibility and injury is like correlated. You know, more flexible, less likely you are to get injured. Yeah. At the moment, I got a bit of a sore hip, but like I really want to get my middle splits back. I'm close, you know, but I did something stupid at the gym. I, I went for a one rep max squat when I haven't squatted in like a month. I got okay. it, but yeah. like the next day, it's yeah. like, not my hip flexors. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, so, I mean, at the moment, ever since I finished gymnastics, I'm at Crunch in DY, lifting weights, mm-hmm. doing calisthenics, uh, ha- a lot of handstands, essentially. Love it. The other day, uh, two minutes, 18 seconds, freehold handstand. That was tough. That was tough. Wow. (laughs) My record's 233. But uh, it gets to a point where your forearms and your shoulders just give up and it's kind of like, "Mm, you just fall over. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm still at that stage where I'm trying to do it against the wall and every time I do, I smash the shit out of the wall and the whole building vibrates and it's like, not very elegant, but I'm up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the wall is the most underrated tool for learning a handstand. And the key is time. Time spent upside down. Like once you, like like I'm, I'm not the best teacher of things just in general, but like with handstands in particular, it's like someone's like, oh, teach me a handstand. I'm like, okay, but you do realize like, the, the key metric to how good your handstand is, is time spent upside down. Go to a wall 
and if and start with 30 seconds or a minute try and go tummy against the wall not back against the wall and try and walk your hands yep. as close to vertical because if you're like on an angle yes. so much pressure Pressure's on your shoulders yeah, that right. and just a minute you and see see if you properly. can stack yeah. yourself properly see yeah. if you can see if you can get against the wall for a minute and a half yeah. at a time even if it's just a minute do a few sets and then every now and again play with kicking up yourself and yeah. all that and just fine tuning and dialing it all in but time spent upside down because it's a skill just like playing the guitar or the trumpet or learning to surf it's just quality time spent doing that activity yeah it's like one of those things where you don't say you try it once and you go oh i'm not good at that Mm -hmm. you've only just tried it once where if you persist and you keep doing it guess what you're going to make progress you're going to get better it's an investment like we said in a couple of uh, episodes a little while ago around the whole idea of incorporating the word yet so i'm not good at it yet yet i'm going to keep going i'm going to get better i'm going to yeah. make progress yeah you've got to really want to as well oh sure yes yeah yeah um but it's again like investing your time yeah and i think you know coming back to you know your passion for mathematics and science mm. and the thing that you mentioned there was the idea of experimentation that's what you loved about it Mm. And when you mentioned that to me, you know, what lit up for me was the idea of with experimentation, it's all about learning new things, Mm -hmm. but not being afraid to fail in the process of doing it. Because as you experiment, guess what? Sometimes you're not going to know what you're going to hope what the result's going to be, but ain't going to turn out, turn out the way you, you know. And I think that's something that continues to carry through, you know, because it doesn't seem like you're afraid to fail, but you will learn from it. Mm-hmm. Me, my mate Andy knows I'm afraid of that. <laughs> I'll tell you. Let me tell you a funny story. Um, and this is how I I was listening to a podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson because I do about science and stuff and astrophysics. I love space and stuff, oh, and we'll yeah. talk about that a bit later. Yeah. Um, but um, and he was saying like, you know, you know when a kid is destined to be a scientist when they try something and they go. And, it's, and they, they experience a negative reaction in some way. And they go, I wonder if it'll do it again. Like repeatability. So, and I'm quite disappointed in myself that I never really, you know, all the stars didn't line up for me to actually go into research because like, I don't like writing papers. But one day, a few years ago, many years ago, like maybe even eight, um, DVD player stopped working. And I was like, well, this is just annoying. This is just, this is just, getting in my way like I just want to watch a movie you know this is before Netflix and so I like you know unscrew the lid and it was just like off and there's all these components in the middle I'm like oh you know what's going on I forgot to unplug it and so I'm just like figuring around and I just touched this thing I'm like oh god it was like the shock of my life and I thought I wonder if I touch it again, if it'll do it again. And sure enough, I got shocked again. And I was like, no, bugger this. And then after that, I realized, oh, right. It's still plugged in. (laughs) I may be smart, but I'm pretty silly. So um, yeah, like it's it's the repeatability thing. But yeah, like I love maths and science. On the parasitic learner thing, there's a funny story there. That that phrase comes from my days at university. Um, I get bored in lectures. Sounds familiar. Yeah, um, I'm just sitting, listening to this old fart, just telling me about something like, uh, okay. So I'm just like, I was the class clown at uni. I tried really hard in school, got great marks in school to get into this course. And that's when I became the class clown. And he was like, feed up. I'm like flicking through Facebook. I mean, who goes on Facebook now? But like 
you know, doing Twitter. Actually, I wasn't on Twitter at the time, but, um, and then like everyone was just like, oh, bugger this guy. Like we're all just trying hard asking questions. And I'm just like, nah, you know, hardly paying. And then I just transitioned to like not even going to the lecture. I was like boring. Then I watched them online. And then I transitioned to not even watching them online. I just thought, you know what? The best investment of my time is to do the tutorial worksheets. And with maths and physics, you can get away with it. It's all example based. Just keep doing questions, you know, keep trying. Anyway, come the assignment or the exam, right? I had a good group of friends as well. And we'd, we'd find a nice little room with a big whiteboard and we'd all just be doing the stuff. And I'd be like, I, have no, I haven't watched these lectures. Like, can someone just teach me what is going on? And so they taught me. And then it's like, I beat them in the final exam. <laughs> Parasitic <laughs> learning. <laughs> oh, you are yeah, learning yeah, yeah, from yeah. them. <laughs> hey, I relate. It's still, yeah, I know, I know someone else that uh, learns like that. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it works. But also... With getting your classmates to actually teach you something that they have learned, that is actually ingraining that knowledge in them. Because the best way to actually really ensure that you learn anything is to then be able to teach it. That's yeah. when you know you have actually acquired that knowledge. Exactly. Because there's, you know, there's the information phase and then you've actually got to then really, really learn and understand that and turn it into knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And, and, and teaching really yeah. uh, enables you to do that. So if you're trying to learn anything new, go out and try and teach it to someone else. Uh, very, that is very going, good advice. Because that you're also going to be asked questions that you don't know the answer to. Mm. So then you can go back and just polish up that part of, of knowledge. So, exactly, yeah. yeah so um, I love teaching. I don't know a lot, but I yeah. like teaching. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it in, in theory, but I actually did a bit of maths tutoring just after finishing school. Um, but I, I did it for like a year and then it's like, oh, I'm just not really a good teacher because it's kind of like, I explain it three times, you still don't get it. No, no. I guess I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. I'm my the my way of doing things, like it's so, it's probably pretty unique. Like, and the, the, the teachers at school hated this. I skipped steps. It was like, mm, 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 yep, cool. Got it in my mind. Like, you know, very few people can do it. And I was like, I was blessed with the ability to be, you know, good at maths. I loved it as well. Like, Come, come over the, and the teacher's like do questions one A, C and E and I'm like I'll do all of them you know like blah 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 um, yeah I was just I absolutely loved it and then I thought when I was picking my degree the only thing I'd even like to do is maths and physics at uni so I was like I, I wasn't really thinking about job I was just like that's what I want to study yeah, you know and like. I had a fantastic time doing it I don't do it anymore but I had such a great time learning about quantum um, mechanics, electrodynamics, like all these cool things, like even like classical mechanics. And the lecturer would get out and like sit on this, um, like, uh, I don't know, kitty thing that you pull on and put a fire extinguisher behind him and turn it on. He'd just rock it out of the room. And I was like, oh, this is just great, you know? <laughs> Did a bit of chemistry too. That was fun. Oh, I was a naughty kid. Like just, you know, nick some stuff from the labs. Ooh, cool, you know? Do your own experiment later. Yeah. Yep. That's how I met one of my good friends. Like never met him before. I was like, can you just like keep a lookout for the, for the demonstrator? I just want to do something behind the scenes. <laughs> Had so much fun, but... Yeah, like I encourage people to get into science. Like it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, and I was I was quite humbled the other day. I was watching a video with Jordan Peterson, mm. and he was like, you know, the smartest people at universities are the mathematicians and the physicists. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I really enjoyed my time there um, through my degree and my honors and stuff. Like incredible. Um, but 
yeah, glad I'm not sort of doing it right now. I can sort of live that in, that passion for science in my own time. I can, I, and like it's the learning thing. I can just and Twitter and YouTube are the two best tools in the 21st century for learning. Right, like um, there are so many good channels and there's and and, and multimedia and visual. Yeah. Like that's the way to learn. One of my science teachers at school said the best way to learn is incorporate as many of your senses as possible, as whatever possible sight, hearing, touch taste and smell obviously a lot of those can't but like um you know with and and i have i really hate how the way research is presented like it's so last century right like why don't we use the tools available to us now to better present research and it it becomes more appealing even to younger people and gets them interested in it because that's science has a real problem in this country not many people there's not much funding not many people in it you know um and same with maths unfortunately the best mathematicians are all going and working in financial markets driving algorithms oh. to trade stocks 150 mm. million times a second. Yeah, there are, there are way too many smart people getting MBAs and going into finance. We need more smart people going into manufacturing and engineering. Yeah, Elon Musk said that, I think. He did, that is a direct quote. Yeah. If no one makes the stuff, we don't have any stuff. Mm. To enjoy. Exactly. That's something not a lot of people think, you yeah. know, like, and it even goes to as simple as like, if there ain't no farmers making sure we get the milk, like there's no milk on the shop for you to make your tea or your smoothie yeah. or, you know, so like, and, and, I, and this is where the sort of passion for innovation and, yeah. and it's, it's sort of turned into engineering as well. Like, I mean, I'm not really the... I'm not the guy like the, the IT guy on the computer doing all the coding, but I do still have a lot of respect and I'm kind of like understanding what they're doing. But um, this sort of goes more like into the future and is kind of in the same grain as like the long-term investment mindset, yeah. you know, like put, put blunt, we are, we're about to experience more change in our, everyone in our lives over the next 10 to 15 years than the last thousand and no one knows it. There, there are five foundational sectors of our society that are that are being disrupted: energy, artificial intelligence, robotics, mm-hmm. blockchain technology, and genomics. All those five are are hitting their their stride in this decade. And why why this decade? Well, to answer that. You can ask yourself, why did the iPhone launch in 2007? Why not 2005 or why not 2009? The answer is technological convergence. Mm -hmm. There are certain technologies required to put into an iPhone, a chip, a computer chip, a camera, a screen, and the battery, lithium ion batteries, energy storage, right? The last of those technologies converged in the year 2007, and so it will be done in 2007. And this is, this is an excellent way to think about all future technologies. Why the 2020s? AI is really hitting its stride this decade. Um, energy storage, the cost of solar, wind, and batteries declined by 80% over mm-hmm. the last 10 years, and will do so again in the next 10 years. Like... It is completely ridiculous and it goes and and also over the next 10 to 15 years and the reason why it will affect everyone is food food is about to be very different um and it's all and the the most beautiful thing about it is none of this is policy driven it's all economics and that's the best thing you hear 
you hear on the on the news it's like governments going to meetings about you know net zero by this date crap doesn't matter doesn't matter whether a government legislates what they want to happen the free market will decide because the one thing that rules all is money um you know and if something can save the government money reliably so they will do it doesn't matter like like you know for example coal-fired power stations are getting just destroyed like they're literally getting blown up they're being decommissioned right because they cannot compete doesn't matter what lies the government will tell you they cannot compete with renewables and we are starting to see it 2017 the hornsdale power reserve in south australia just last week victorian big battery was turned online there's another one coming in queensland and if you go online there's about 50 battery projects either proposed in development or in construction or online right around just australia right we actually are kind of like leading the world in that like big battery thing and then the world's they're they're watching they're listening you know but um people will try and tell you oh no but the coal's still pretty cheap the reason the government the reason anyone's like oh we're we're going to build new coal if you ever hear we're going to build a new coal station the only reason they say that is because they've been lied to right The, the key metric is called levelized cost of energy um and it's basically a simple equation total lifetime energy produced over um, lifetime costs right and oh sorry the other way around cost divided by energy produced that makes more sense sorry um and for the energy produced side of that equation they use this baseline figure of 85 percent maximum capacity like on average this power plant will be operating at 85 percent of its maximum capacity because you can imagine like there are always these fixed costs Mm. associated like people need to be there to maintain it um you know for example but like and then you can get this operating leverage the more that you actually operate it however current coal plants they're operating at like 15 percent capacity and so they're using this crap figure of 85%, which is like making it seem better than it is, when in reality it's costing way more money to operate these things. And this will become clear in the, in the next few years, right? And so basically what I'm saying is, regardless of what governments decide to do, the electricity grid will be 100% renewable by 2030 for purely economic reasons, because it will be cheaper. You and I will pay virtually nothing for electricity um because it will all just be coming from the sun and by the way all forms of energy are basically just forms of it's just solar it's all solar energy like fossil fuels at one point in time it came from the sun you know like it's the sun is our power source right and why not capture it directly and it it will become the cheapest form of energy um transportation no one will tell you this either but 2030 virtually zero vehicles sold will have a combustion engine people in power like to believe that this is not the case but it's not because of legislation legislation is not for like 2035 2040 you know but it's purely consumer driven in norway last month 90 percent of all vehicles sold were electric one market one month but like it's going like that human beings don't understand exponential growth it's not in your brain we are linear thinkers. We, like, you don't understand how it goes from two to four to eight. It's like, what? And this is evident when you look at, um, uh, like, 
professionals' projections for um, uh, renewals, right? They, they have like a data point, like a few, and they just project out linearly. Then the next year, and you see it all on the same graph, the next year it's like that, and then they project out linearly, but it's increased. And each year they keep upping their projections, and it's like, are you an idiot? Yeah, they're just trying to make it fit. Yeah. <laughs> they're just trying to make a linear fit. Yeah. We are not hardwired to understand exponential yeah. thinking, and disruptive technologies are always exponential. Well, they're S-curves, but yeah. the first bit is an exponential, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of literature out there now on, on the whole idea around exponential organizations that understand that, mm, that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Sebov, Rethink X, is one of the only ones mm. that understands. And a lot of even what I've said has come from his research. Mm. And I'm just watching, and he, he publishes his stuff on YouTube. It's an excellent watch. Tony, S-E-B-A, Sebov, and his, his company's Rethink X. And he talks about energy, food, transportation, Everything is crazy. Yeah, it's very interesting. You're talking about governments um, mm-hmm. saving money, but that flows through from governments to corporations to actually individuals. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing things legislated in governments a lot slower. Mm-hmm. It's the people are driving these things from the bottom, and then mm-hmm. the companies want to sell them what the people want, mm-hmm. and then the government's like, oh, we better work out how to actually put walls around this now or work out how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the houses even now are being built as smart homes. So yeah. they all have, you know, solar powers on their roof. It's just mm-hmm. a standard thing that comes with, with new properties that are that are owned. And then your you can actually put power back onto the grid mm-hmm. and you can get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Or you can just store it and, and use it. And if you've got an electric car, that means you are now not having to pay for any power in your actual house or to transport your family around. Yeah. Um there are not many cars that have vehicle to grid. It probably will come um, because other like you, you, there's multiple perspectives, but you can look at it like you, you have, uh, for example, um, a typical electric car could power your house for about five days. It's a big battery in that car, right? Because the amount of energy it takes to move two tons around is quite a lot. Um, so yeah, you definitely could do that. Um, Tesla doesn't do it yet. Isn't the system, other cars do. Yeah. Like N- Nissan, Leaf, I think, and some other new ones coming. Um, it, it, it definitely will be a contributor, but um, the thing with it though is like to, for it to be like reliable, like you kind of just got to park your car in your garage all the time. At nighttime, it probably will be, but I'd probably say home storage, like power walls, are probably they're, they're a smaller battery, but you can, you can you, they're, they're modular, you can stack them. Mm-hmm. Probably a better solution, and combined with solar. Mm-hmm. That's actually what I meant, but thank you for clearing that up for me. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. So, yeah, yeah, the solar panels are charging your batteries and you yes. plug your car into the battery. Yes, okay. of course. Um, yes. Makes more sense. Um, yeah, that's, you set it much, much better than I did. The, um, and in Australia, we've got like uh, many, many houses have rooftop, rooftop solar because it's coming down. It's on its 80%. Like 2010 to, tw- to right. 2020, it came down 80% in price per unit energy, per kilowatt, right, of a solar panel. And it's projected to go down a further 80%. Same thing with batteries. It's going to be so cheap, it's not even funny. And then if every house has that, you can revolutionize the grid to these like micro grids. Oh, it's going to happen. And then, yeah, and then at, a, at a suburb yeah. level, you install like a slightly larger battery. And yep. then because, uh, and you learn this in physics, right? Like the, the longer your transmission line, the, the more power loss that you have, yep. right? Um, and then like I heard this the other day, like Singapore or some like Malaysian, like they want to build a solar farm in the middle of our desert and then ship it up ship to it. them. I'm just like, that's <laughs> just dumb, but 
okay. They don't have space. The right. That they don't have space. That's the thing. Like, I, I'm not familiar completely with... I'm, I'm, all those countries are very densely populated for sure. But also, like, the amount of solar panels required to power your whole country is, like, tiny little... And then a battery is, like, 1% of that. It is, like, nothing. Like, for in America, the amount of land they dedicate to golf is all they need for solar panels to power their whole country. And then 1% of that in land for their battery storage distributed across the whole country because we don't want long distance transmission, you know? Um, and if, if you're in the UK, go wind because there's not much sun there, you know, use your geography mm. to your advantage. Yep. You know, yep. if you have uh, a lot of like mountainous, you know, regions like capture, like gravity, you know, gravitational potential energy through water, yeah. you know, like hydroelectric, yep. like, um, that's like your last resort because it's expensive, but like it's still renewable, you know. Is like, there Iceland that uses thermal? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so geothermal. That, geothermal. That, they're 100% on that. Yeah. 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 It's like, and renewable energy is so cheap. So, like, for example, um, I drive a Model 3 Performance. If you like driving, get a Model 3 Performance. It is the funnest car you will ever own. It's like fun on tap. It never gets old ever. I've had it for 18 months. And as soon as I put my foot down, it's like I'm a kid at a candy. You know? And you better believe that I'm having some fun. Like, you know, um, but, you know, it, it costs me $5 to, to completely recharge my car. And that's like 450 Ks, you know, if I'm driving it sensibly, you know, a bit less than that if I'm having a bit of fun. Yeah. But my mum has a Mercedes C250 for she had it for a few years and she showed me her receipt for petrol $116 weekly yeah pretty much it's like and now you're telling me electric cars are the expensive ones yeah sticker price is not the most important thing total cost of ownership this is like again the long term mindset that people need to get their head around it's also combustion engines need a lot more ongoing services and mm -hmm. maintenance and mm -hmm. parts break where with the Teslas it's, they don't it's very minimal I've never serviced ongoing. it once yeah, well, they say, 18 months of ownership. Yeah, they say you take the first look at look in is it at 20,000 kilometers, you know? But when you buy a combustion combustion car, it's like first 1,000 kilometers and then every yeah. boom 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 to get it. Um, even yeah. your brakes. Yeah. Um, regen braking is the most underrated feature. It completely changes how you drive. It is it is fantastic. You lift off the the, the accelerator pedal, the go pedal, I like to call it. It's, it's not the gas pedal anymore. No. You know, it's the go pedal. Um, and you lift off, and the car starts slowing down. You can set it to slow down just still to a roll or to a hold, so it slows down all the way by itself to a stop. I have it to the stop. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And because of that, you are actually applying your um, your your manual brakes like a lot less so your brake pads wear a lot less so you can get a lot further without replacing everything them. is so smart the it's, only yeah. thing that would be equivalent in service and maintenance would be like the tires you know um and then even even this car's got like it's a computer on wheels right which is why i made the iphone moment analogy before because that was like a yeah. phone computer and this is a computer on wheels yeah you can't spin the wheels the traction control kicks in before you can even do anything so it's like it's like you're a professional driver but you're just shit right like you, like you don't know it's like it's a it's a it's a life hack it's a cheat code definitely need to get one of these for you ray <laughs> yeah and there and the, like the, it starts at 60 grand yeah and there's no there's no basically no nothing fuel maintenance anything like that um, and it's it's and also the, the resale value yeah. will be think about it from this perspective right if I've told you that um, in 10 years time no one's buying new combustion engines and then it will take another 10 years to really sort of get them off the road because of the shelf life of a car and all that and that's fine 
Um, and every new purchase of an electric vehicle essentially down the line removes one combustion engine vehicle off the road, whether it be like second or third or fourth hand sales, like somewhere down the line, your 1995 Corolla is now in the junkyard. Yeah. Right? Um, but think about what that means for resale value of cars. And that is the final element in your total cost of ownership equation. You think if you own a, a car for three years, the sticker price plus your fuel and maintenance and then you subtract off your resale value, that's your total cost of ownership and you divide that by the number of years or months or whatever per yep. year, right? And not a lot of people think about that. And they so don't think about it. if your resale value is garbage, that is costing you so much money, especially like, I'll say this blanket right now. Do not buy in 2021 slash 2022 slash whatever year you're listening to this <laughs> in, do not buy a combustion engine vehicle unless it is some multi-hundred thousand dollar toy for you that's like some fancy Porsche that you just want to keep in a friggin' museum or something. Like, you know, do not because it will be a terrible investment, you know, all things considered. Well, I'm waiting for them to bring it out in there because um, one of the cars I have is a Mercedes Sprinter van. Mm -hmm. It's a camper. Um, I can throw my boards in there and all the rest of it. But they don't come out yet in the electric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they're getting there. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, Mercedes definitely has a plan for that. Ford has a yep. the e-transit coming. Yep. Don't know when, but probably freaking never. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a conversation with some people the other day and I was saying, to my dad actually, yeah. and I was saying, dad, like my kids will never learn to drive a car. Correct. You know, how old are your my, kids? My, he's nine. My oldest is is nine in January. So you know, yep. oh maybe so he's like six, seven years, and then maybe he'll learn to drive. But I actually don't think so. I think the technology is going to move that quickly from where we are today to where we're heading. Yeah, um, yeah. Driverless cars and AI is just one of the five foundational pillars I mentioned before. Yeah, is, is AI is yeah. um, is definitely going to revolutionise the way that people get around it. And, and my view is that. People, I don't think, will own a car anymore. So I think what we'll get to a point where... You're a where... wise man. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear it. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually think that you will decide to drive a brand of car and there'll be so many of those particular cars in that area and you'll just lease a car mm. and you'll either decide to drive it from... It'll be like a Uber experience, but you'll own a toyota and toyota will just say hey how many people want to need to get from where to where and do you want to share or not and you'll say you'll add yeah. all those things in and then your car will be booked mm -hmm. because most people's vehicles are actually they spend most of the time in a garage correct now you commute from home to work about 95 percent of the time in a garage there you go so yeah that this is my um very humble personal view on, on how consumer driving will, will change over just the next five mm. to five i'll to expand ten on that if you like go for it i'd love to hear it all right so History has provided us with very excellent insights into the future. Let's look at Netflix. Netflix has already shown us, if you're paying attention, the future of the car industry or the future of personal transportation. It is a pay-per-use or a subscription model, right? Whichever of those two, who cares? Mm -hmm. uh, essentially the same thing. Um, and... You know, you don't, no one really owns DVDs. What's a DVD? Like, you know, or like, unless, you know, no one really, like, it's all, it's all streamed. It's on demand, right? Um, you know, and Blockbuster went bust because of it, because they refused to see the light. Because again, exponential thinking, these upper management, they're just looking at their numbers going like, like they're just literally heads in the sand. This is the same in the automotive industry. 
if you any car built today or on the road today which is every the vast vast majority of cars that does not have the hardware necessary for full self-driving will be about as useful as a horse in a few years time so not very right um human beings should not be allowed to drive cars and i say that as a human being who enjoys having some fun driving a car because we are monkey brains right like we're so slow to react we get distracted easily we get drunk we get angry we get tired you know <laughs> from a from a male perspective if i see some hot chick on the street <laughs> as i you know like <laughs> I'm I'm not, I'm gonna admit it. Like there's no 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 bullshit here. Like, right? Don't um, talking about uh, <laughs> right? And you know, and I even like oh, speaking to my dad. He's like fifty, like fifty four, and he's like, man, doesn't get doesn't go away when you get old. <laughs> anyway, like, but there's been no choice up until now. Like, but with artificial intelligence and and specifically real world artificial intelligence like properly which doesn't really exist yet in its final form like it's there it's it's coming like real soon but you know the the reason why we we shouldn't be allowed to drive cars is because one and a quarter million people die on the road each year unnecessarily it's ridiculous and if you ever known someone who's died on the road whether it be their fault or someone else's fault it sucks and it's a very preventable death um but we need to get around you know so we've just had to sort of deal with that and we had to we have to like put in place restrictions to minimize fatalities which you can obviously understand like speed limits and like limit on alcohol and all that but funnily enough there's no limit on you know tiredness i don't really know how you enforce that but like yeah. that's probably even worse like even close your eyes but um with you know, and so if if you don't, if a car doesn't have the hardware necessary for full self driving, it's about as useful as a horse. Because once, once it starts, once one jurisdiction allows autonomous, which will also necessarily be electric vehicles, um, and they they and the, the data comes in, decisions are data driven. Make no mistake about it. Um, data are money driven. Then they will be like mm. and then the next jurisdiction along will see that and go oh let's add it too and all of a sudden the whole world like really quickly allows autonomous and it merges with human driven vehicles and then after a few years the data comes in and it's like oh these how many crashes has an autonomous car gone into not very many how many people have died virtually no one and by oh, i hate given time frames because it's really hard but conservatively 2035 human driving banned outright banned because it's like you know there are so many things that used to happen like you know we don't have guns anymore because they just too many people died like i wasn't really around for it but like and even in america like there's shootings every day and it's just like mm. but yeah human driving will be banned and so all these cars that technically could still be utilized on the road um useless mm. and then the next part of this, why I brought Netflix into it, the on-demand, personal car ownership, you touched on this before, is really a thing of the past, like like DVD ownership, you know? It sits there 95% of the time being underutilized, and then if you think about it on a cost per kilometer basis, it's all about utilization, you know? Um, and so, and you'll be able to, it's just like the Uber experience, you'll be able to call an autonomous vehicle it will arrive in two minutes and it will take you where you want to go for a dollar a kilometer or less. 
And so, and, 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 and as they, they make more and more of them, the cost will come down. It'll start reasonably expensive, but it will actually still start less than Uber. You know, like Uber's ridiculous, you know, like 40 bucks to get from home to Manly. It's like, mm, I don't live that far away. And it's like, well, okay, it's like probably like six, seven Ks. Because you have to pay a human to drive a car. Exactly. And then they, they need to make some money and there's petrol's expensive and all that. And, and then the network is, could probably be optimized a little bit better. Like you see this driving, it's like, where's he going? Like, mm. you know, on this, on this map. Um, but yeah, a lot of that paying the driver and, and servicing and maintaining the car. So the, the costs will come down. And I've done the calculation for America. 62 cents per mile is the cost to own a vehicle. And that covers the depreciation of the vehicle, the fuel, your license, your insurance, your registration, all these other little factors, um, service and maintenance, all that, around the average vehicle, like average purchase price, like you know your Toyota Corolla kind of style vehicle, 62 cents per mile. As soon as you undercut that by any amount, people will just be like, well, I'd rather just ride hail and I'll just leave my car just sitting here because I don't want to have to pay for it. And then eventually I won't even register it. And then it's just like, I'll just dump it, you know? And so we end up in a, uh, in a society where everyone's getting safe, autonomous vehicles. And then, and then inside the car, the life changes. Like you can just watch telly, you know, or you can, you can be productive and do work or do whatever you want whilst you're on your way. Um, and you know, um, this is why Tesla's are really good because they have the screen here. No one else is doing this really. They have Netflix in the car, Disney Plus in the car, like games in the car, you know, like this is, it's a TV on wheels, you know, and, and, and everyone else's cars, they're still really driver focused. They're not quite getting it yet and how it's about to change. And so all these cars will be on the road, maybe like a 65, 75% utilization rate. So like the amount of like money that say, for example, the, the Tesla robo taxi network will make um, like per mile, then you like multiply that by the utilization and all of a sudden this, they're making a trillion dollars a year in profit. Yeah, look, you're right. The whole world will change around that yeah. model because, I mean, I think it's a, the new Economic World Forum. They say mm -hmm. that. They go, in the future, 2030, mm -hmm. moving forward, uh, you will own nothing, but mm -hmm. you will be happy. Yeah, you'll be great. And then houses, they don't need a driveway anymore. So you can redesign how you build houses. I mean, even one of the guys I watch on YouTube who does a lot of real estate investing, he first thing is like, does it have a driveway? I don't want it if it has a driveway. You know, what a waste of space. Because like you're paying for that land that is like, if, if the house isn't utilizing it, you know, and he's like a really forward thinker. Yeah, it'll change um, everything. It, it, it'll yeah. change everything, you know? Well, you think of a double garage and how mm. much space that utilizes in a home, that yeah. could be another whole living area. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, you're um, looking at 30 square plus meters for yeah. a double garage. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and the nice thing about an electric vehicle as well is that, and for the time being, and, and you still have many years while you can still, where you can still own it and you can still drive it around. But in that time, like if you have an electric vehicle, there's no fumes that come out of it. So you actually can, your garage can be connected to your living room with no wall or door in between. You can drive your car if you want, like if you design your, right into your house and then walk and then it might be a bit dirty. So you might have like a carpet or something. Anyway, and then you walk and sit right on your couch and watch telly. And if you have a nice looking car, it's like you can see your car there. It's like, oh, this is cool. And it completely like makes the house like more open plan. You know, modern homes are more open plan. Like I love it. Yeah. You know, like if you go to a house that has all these like rooms and walls, it's like, knock it down. <laughs> like you know, make it nice and roomy and all that, but yeah, we're ripe for disruption. That's that, that's your um, 
your your energy and your yeah. AI. And if you haven't watched Tesla AI Day presentation from August this year, mind blown. Like these cars are so ridiculously smart. And there's videos online of their full self-driving beta, and you just see it. it's like zero disengagement, zero intervention drives from place to place, door to door. It's happening like now. Oh, it, is. it definitely is. I mean, the whole idea around autonomous vehicles is definitely there. Mm. Um, what they're working through at the moment, I actually wrote a paper on this around the liabilities. So if I'm the manufacturer or I'm the supplier or mm -hmm. I'm in the registered owner, if something goes wrong with that vehicle, yeah. who's liable? Um, who was in control? But is it a manufacturing default? Mm -hmm. Is it something the supplier is also vicariously liable for? Mm -hmm. So it's a whole lot of those legal issues yeah. around liability that they are working their way through. Yeah, yeah, the main thing they're trying to work out is if there's an accident, yeah. who's at fault? Who is actually at fault? Yeah. If the AI is owned by Tesla, is it Tesla's fault that Tesla ran into a Ford? Or yeah, so um, th and this is where. Tesla smart and I mean I hate using these uh, SAE levels for um, God whoever made these levels they didn't actually themselves make an autonomous vehicle so it's like what reference yep. anyway level two yep. is still driver assistance the yep. driver is completely responsible at all times yep. even Tesla's full self-driving beta software which is out to about roughly 20,000 users in America at the moment it is still a beta it is technically level two. Tesla's not liable at all. However, because they want, a, it's all about the image of it. If it starts having accidents, people will legislate it and it just destroys progress, right? And so they are super conscientious about like driver monitoring and all this, making sure you're paying attention. And it's like, if you if you get a strikeout, we'll actually restrict your access to this advanced software, right? And then to get it, you had to pass like this um, safety score test. So you have to like drive like a grandma for a week, you know, just to prove <laughs> that you were safe enough just to even get this. And then eventually by the time it gets here, it'll probably be out of beta and everyone who pays for it can actually just get it. But um, in an accident, see, this is the thing with autonomous vehicles, they have 360 degree vision. Okay, um, and so there's and go, go into court, show them a video. There's no issue. Like there's no who 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 caused an accident. Um, if you have rules about if you get t-boned, then the person who t-boned you was at fault. Or if you have the the, the 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 black and white rule for that, and then you have the footage, it's like blanket. Th these are the things. But what you actually find is that autonomous vehicles are very good at avoiding accidents. Like many many. Um, anecdotes that I even I read and I watch and there's even a video accompanying it this guy's like I was at a set of lights and I was, I was in autonomous mode and the light went green and the car started moving and all of a sudden it just shoved on its brakes I'm like what the fuck is it doing and all of a sudden a bike goes through a red light across and he's like oh my god yeah, that's right. the car saw that well before me another one this guy's driving and he's about to this is in America he's making a right turn and, and, and it's good to go and it, the car just doesn't make the right turn but 200 meters back, they passed two cyclists on the right of that car, and the car saw them still behind coming up, and it waited for them to go through before it turned. You know, it's like these cars are looking out for you. They see things hundreds of times a second. They're on it, like, and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the machine learning behind it to help the machines actually yeah. make these decisions. So the power is with AI, mm. and then the machine learning capabilities that go with it. Um, and then the decision matrix that sits behind all of that to yeah. avoid things like this. But the thing is with AI, it doesn't have the emotion. Mm. And so it's when it comes to making certain decisions where a human yeah. might, yeah. It has to be, it's in the name, it has to be intelligent. Yes. Right, and current, current quote unquote AI, it's not 
real world AI. When you drive a car, you are actually unaware of all the complex decisions you're making because it comes so natural to an intelligent being. Um, you are actually, what you're really doing is navigating the real world. You are, um, you know, working alongside other drivers, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And you have to, if you're going to develop an autonomous vehicle, it has to work in all situations. Otherwise, it's useless. I want to go to Manly and, ha and get blind and then go home for $3 and not have to pay a driver and not have to, like, talk to him or anything like that. But this car has to be able to work without anyone behind the wheel. It has to be intelligent. And through neural networks, it is like an artificial brain. This is, they're actually intelligent. They are learning to actually navigate the real world. And then once you do that, there's a trivial chain. Once you do that, it is trivial to just take that computer, put it into a robot, and all of a sudden you have a, 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 a robot to do labor. Right, because once you've solved navigating the real world, it's trivial. Chuck some actuators on, and, and it can do some tasks, boring, repetitive tasks. Right, and so once, very soon after we really get autonomous vehicles, there's robots as well. Oh yeah, and honestly, it's that the that whole machine learning side of things, this intelligence behind AI, the real intelligence. Yeah, exactly. The fact that it can learn. Yeah, oh, that is just super um, powerful. And, and one one key I was going to mention before, but I forgot is um what they're working on now is temporal and spatial awareness yes. and yep. memory you know what's crazy is like we humans you stopped at lights and a truck drives past but before the truck drove past you see there was a car coming on the other lane when the truck drives past you know that car's still there or most likely still there right traditional systems they're like i can't see it it's not there yeah you know however with temporal awareness and multi like camera vision and all that and like and if you if you do the processing after you stitch together all these cameras that's how they're actually doing it, right eight cameras around the car and they ask the simple question what would it look like if i was had a bird's eye view of the whole scene so they the, the system the, the, the neural network has to figure out how to stitch all these images together into like a three-dimensional view and then you add time to yeah. that so it can remember there's a car there if you're driving and there was a, a left arrow or you know on the road and you drive past it and you're stuck at lights and it's like a minute later or, or 20 seconds later the car remembers i'm in a left turn lane because i saw it on the road behind me it might be it might be occluded by another car at this point in time it's that memory you know spatial and temporal awareness absolutely key but this is only next a recent level. development yeah but next again that whole next level mm -hmm. it's just uh incredible where it's going yeah, and things are just moving so quickly. Yeah. So everyone, we just sort of have to continue to embrace these changes because if you don't, you're you'll get left be behind. Back on a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and it it, it can be scary, but it, it's this is not a sci-fi movie. This is the real world. It there's a lot of caution, and the thing with AI as well, and and this is a, a kind of a positive, is that it's only good at what it's trained to do. That's right. And it takes, like we, like you probably, if you want to learn something, you know, like something basic, like someone tells you it two or three times, like, yeah, I've got it. You know, I know, like, I know what a stop sign means now, you know, right? Um, but a, a car, it needs tens of thousands, if not millions of examples to get its error rate so low that mm -hmm. it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 it stuffs it up one in a hundred thousand times or one in a million times. And with stop signs is a really good example because they can be, normal they can be held they can be on a boom gate yeah. they can be in an on or an off state they can be partially occluded completely occluded you know like there are so many different examples but we just kind of just know 
and we're, we're, our neural networks are just doing this all the time. We don't even think about it. But our AI is only good at what it's, what it's trained to do. So there really is no fear that it's going to just wake up and start killing us all because like, it's like, all I know how to do is drive and I'm very good at it. Yes. It's, it's very good at, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> what it's trained to do yep. um, and not much else. Like if you ask it to do anything else outside of its realm, it's kind of like a potato. <laughs> yep. So rest easy. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also the benefit and why I think that Tesla is really leading the race in this area because it has the biggest network of cars on the road and it is bringing, it's been bringing in all this data for so long. Yeah, real so data. it is so real far data. ahead of everybody else. And when yeah. you think of autonomous cars going around and driving, well, every Tesla knows where every other Tesla is. And there's data going up and back from those cars all the time. Mm. I guess they could do that. I don't think they need to though. I think it's the, 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 their approach is just purely vision. And so, because like they're trying to mimic it of how we do it, like, you know, you have that temporal memory, but like, it's kind of like you approach an intersection for the first time every time. There's a little bit of like a previous car has gone through this and they've mapped that part yeah. of it. And they use a little bit of that to, because intersections can be quite complex. But once you, once you get the system good enough such that it can, it can do something correctly the first time, it's almost like done. Yeah. You know, like every intersection, um, I mean like you, there's so many examples online at the moment, like it's phenomenal. This, and it displays it all on the screen too. It's like 50 cars it can see all around. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. what the, and it's true. It's like one, two, three, four, five, you know, it's all there. And then it's, 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 it's um, path prediction and all that is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, when it comes to the network though, yes, there will be a, because you need, say someone's wanting to hail a, a robo-taxi here and there's, where's the nearest one? What's the most efficient way? So yes, there will be an element of, and because it's, it's like an internet of things, right? All the cars are connected. Um, and so, you know, and this is when I mentioned before, or if you don't have the hardware necessary for full self-driving, what I was actually meaning is only Tesla. <laughs> Sorry to be blunt. There are like, there are no other cars with, 360 degree vision really that are driving around right now um and so and it owns all that ip exactly i mean their, their patents are open and if, in good faith if you want to use it then you can but like no one else is doing it their patents have been open for years and no one else has taken them up on that offer you know um and because everyone is because it, it comes back to that more fundamental thing like they still don't believe they're still just so backwards in their thinking like, oh yeah, another 20 years, whatever. Well, yeah, not only that, they're also thinking it's what we program the car to do. So it's all in that program rather than the machine yeah. actually learning. Which is where yeah. the, 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 the fatal flaw of thinking like these ethical concerns, everyone's like, well, what does it do if it's got to kill this person or yeah. do that? It's like, well, that will probably never happen because it will see it. It'll, no one has to, there's no programmer making a decision. It's, it's, it's on the fly making a decision. It can react hundreds of times a second, you know, to a computer, human beings is like watching a tree grow. We are so slow. Have you ever watched like a phantom camera in slow motion? It's kind of like, okay, geez, 10,000 frames a second. Like, yeah, that's what the computer's like to us, right? It sees all these things and it's planning and it's making multiple um, decisions for example you know when you're going down a skinny road it's not one way it's two ways and there's parked cars mm. and some other cars coming on and you're like how do I negotiate this you know who's got a yield you know and generally whoever whoever it's easiest to yield for probably would yield right that's how the car does it that's how it thinks and I've even seen a video of it and it's like it's constantly like this is plan A plan B and it has like many different plans or different ways it could do it 
it's got that stuff, that stuff down, you know, and now it's just a case of we're on the march of nines, you know, at what reliability level do you start? Like 99.9, .9, probably no, because that means like one in a thousand times you'll have an accident, not, not good enough. 99.99, probably not, probably means 99.9999, like four nines after that until it's like, all right, yeah, we can do this. That's like one in 10 million or something, you know, so yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Wow. Mate, I want to hear about space. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Let's Yay. do this. All right, SpaceX, one of my favorite companies as well. I can't invest in them. Mm, maybe I could, but it's just not really worth it. You've got to pay carrying fees, some private thing. It's like, nah. Um, I've always been interested in space. Um, it's very important we become a multi-planetary species because eventually, not a question of if, it's a question of when, we're all dead if we're, st if we're still here. And... That's not something I'd like to see. I'd like to see, I think it's really exciting if we are out amongst the stars. And unfortunately, we can never really get that far because of how grandiose our universe is and how far away things really are. Um, but it is absolutely so exciting. Um, within the next decade, there'll be people on Mars, a few, a few cargo missions, get some stuff there first, and then a few people, and then, jeez. It'll be shit for those first few people, I'm telling you that much. <laughs> but like, there are some people whack enough and crazy enough to do it. And, and, and hopefully we send artists, like an artist, a musician, a engineer, a, a wide skill set of people to capture that first experience of what it's like on another planet, you know? Yeah. Mars is first, uh, really. And we'll have a moon base as well. That's like the next nearest neighbor. Um, but uh, yeah, that's like sort of the more what's going on. But then for me, my a lot of my passion as well is like learning about different aspects of the cosmos like black holes like how cool yeah, is that you know yeah, i can go down a rabbit um, hole on that one yeah, yeah study general relativity in yeah, my honors um just absolutely crazy um how and as a kid i watched like those like universe documentaries and stuff it's like spaghettification as you go into a black hole it's like crazy and then um at a more advanced level you have this like time dilation effect mm. where the closer you get so you've got you've got your event horizon and you've got this um the singularity in the middle where gravity is essentially infinite you can think of it like that um and then once you pass the event horizon the reason it's black is because not even light escapes right like you can you can bounce off it but there's that ring where or that sort of sphere where any once you go past like your your future all future um world lines point to inside the black hole. So what I mean by a world line, well, um, that is your, it's very advanced, but like on a space-time diagram, there you have this thing called like a light cone and light is the fastest speed that you that anything can move at. And that is represented as a 45 degree line. And space is like horizontal and time is up. So if you stand still, you move vertically. And that is your world line. If you move to the side, if you, if you walk around and all that, like the path that you take through space-time is the world line right um and if you and it actually works out the more you move the longer you live just as a in a theoretical concept because like the length of your line is actually longer um, but you can't you can't go um outside of this cone this light cone because nothing can move faster than light um and as you approach a black hole what actually happens is your light cone starts to tilt as you get closer and closer such that and, and, and then at the event horizon, these angles, these 45, so nothing can go beyond it on either side, it tilts like that. So one of the sides is vertical, which means that 
all future world lines point towards the singularity of that black hole, which is a fancy way of saying there is nothing you can do to escape it. Any movement, any anything, will, it's just delaying the inevitable. Your, you know, your future in time and your future in space is not, um, is like, you know, when, when you're sitting here, you just think like in a minute, it'll be a minute's time, you know, but like when you're at the black hole, it's like your future points in space there my future is there nothing i can do about it like i can i can move there i can move there i can leave i can do whatever i want i have choice but at the black hole all choices there. point there and that's so fascinating mm. and then what happens after that i don't know maybe you go into another dimension you know i love have you seen interstellar yes yeah great movie mm. um he's like poking on like the strings yeah. of, like he's trying to like see himself and all that but man space is so cool yeah, my son loves uh, space. He's just really, really, really interested in it. And I've been reading him a lot of books and then relearning or re-exploring all these things that we learned in primary school. But yeah. he's now just really grasped up with two hands and like that. We spend a lot of time together reading it. Not, not about the cone of light. No, we're, yeah. we're, not, we're, not, uh, we're not quite there yet. Yeah, a bit but, of general uh, relativity for all you folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it is so interesting. And people in general I don't think understand the vastness of mm -hmm. our universe and then universes outside of our universe mm -hmm. and then when they look up in the sky and they look at a star and they're like oh that's light well you're actually seeing light from the past exactly it takes time for light to travel and then and those stars are suns from distant distant times away and universes a long long way away and you we have we just cannot grasp yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of space and the amount of time that that yeah. is happening. So if, you, we, if you're at all interested, study physics. Um, but yeah, it's like you're looking into the past. That's such a whack concept. You're just like that's actually super special. If you were, if you were at that position looking at Earth, you'd be seeing dinosaurs mm. walking around, like legitimately. <laughs> that's what. It, that's the, really what it is. That is the vastness, and unfortunately we can never really go there because it is so vast. Like the nearest star system is 4.2 light years away. You know, like that, that'll take us thousands of years to even get there. And then you have this, this funny thing, have you, um, where if, you, if you're the first spaceship to leave and say your travel time is like 10,000 years, but a hundred years later, our advancements yes, on the planet, they, they become so great that the travel time is now 5,000 years. So at yes. some point along the journey, you pass yeah. that. Who wants to be on the first ship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. You get there and there's already been a civilization for yeah. thousands of years. You're going, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny. And then so with the advances in, I suppose genome mapping and those mm. things do you how far do you think they're going to be able to extend human life have you done a bit of work into that as well um yeah i i, I can uh, i'm obviously not working in the field but i can offer an opinion yeah um so it's quite likely that um how, how old are you guys i'm 41 41 yeah it's quite likely you will be able to choose to live forever if you want to oh. yeah i've been so betting on that yeah <laughs> Do you want to live forever? You don't want to live forever, do you? No, yeah. no. No. No, oh, yeah. no, no. And, and that's, that's, so it depends. If they discover it when I'm 95 and I have very zero mobility, then probably I'll just choose exit left. Yeah. But yeah in yeah. the next 10 to 15 yeah. years, or if, I'm, if I'm in yeah. health and I can just freeze at that particular point mm -hmm. or extend my 50s into my 250s, yeah. um, that would be very interesting. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, 
and there's multiple ways of doing it i mean eventually you'll just kind of be able to upload your consciousness into a machine if you really want to so even if you are 95 you can just be like i'll just put myself into a metal but able body you know in the metaverse right um (laughs) but another got some tokens another another way of (laughs) (laughs) another way of thinking about it is um advancements in for every year that goes by medicine advances to extend your life expectancy by a year all of a sudden we're immortal you're right you know what i mean like because aging is just uh, your dna replicating itself imperfectly right and that's why you get wrinkles in your skin and your hair goes gray and all that like um and and you know that's just nature right and then actually cancer is like another form of that where it just goes a bit too far um yeah, so advancements in, in medicine and genomics, that's very possible. And like I said, it's happening this decade. And, you know, um, I'm not saying that I will do this, but it's quite likely that, you know, I haven't decided when roughly, and it's not really almost even up to me, like half is up to me when I have kids, right? And there was obviously another person in that equation. It helps. It helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's, it's the, there's, there is a chance, a non-zero chance that I'll be able to go to the doctor and be like, I want my kid to have this and this and this and we'll just edit it on a computer and then in you go kind of thing for nine months. And then, you, and then like that's the genomic revolution. Like, And even me, an existing person, I can go into a doctor and be like, I want my muscles a little bit bigger, you know? Can you give me that? Sure, you know, like, and I want to change my hair color, all that. Like they can actually snippet parts of your DNA and replace. Now that's like a pretty dystopian future. It'll really be used for like curing cancer and things like that. Like cancer, even now they can spot it in your DNA if you're likely to have cancer or if you will, let's get that out. You know, like cut, replace, you know. That's like that CRISPR technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really hope that that uh, gets advanced very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like very many smart people working on that. And even um, AlphaFold is a um, there's a group of people, uh, like a company or whatever, like working on actually, and it, it's, it's AI. It's like a machine learning thing, um, recreating 3D structures of proteins. And they've gotten like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of proteins. And this is like, an exceptional real world uh, application of neural networks and AI and it all ties in together. AI, it's like, you know, it's planting its seeds in all parts of our lives and helping enhance us in all, all many ways until we get to a point where if you can't beat them, join them. And that's where Neuralink comes in. Do you know much about Neuralink? I know enough about it, but yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah. So what they're, they're actually, I don't know if you've seen the demo in uh, in monkeys, in, in a few chimpanzees, where the chimpanzee can play pong without even touching the controls. It's just telepathic playing pong, um, and that's like a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, next year they start um, testing in humans that are that have like um, like certain conditions like paralysis or Alzheimer's, um, and then the initial stage is to use AI to well actually no just to to like a brain machine interface to help fix those problems like and the big one is paralysis or, or quadriplegia right it is possible you know we hope that it, it is definitely possible when we hope we can do it to restore full bodily functions to a person who's broken the neck you know and i mean i'm no expert but i imagine it's like you've you've the the brain still works but there's a severed connection somewhere down the spine a transmitter and a receiver and you just and then and then it'll be like 
reteaching yourself how to walk. Yep. You've got to build those connections between the brain and the machine. And it's, it's really like learning a new skill, right? And that's how it would feel. Um, and you just are learning to walk and learning to use your body again. The same thing goes for blind and deaf people. Quite often, it's the for blind people, it's somewhere in the eyes is the problem, yeah, no. not the visual cortex. So, I mean, let's say you have a camera strapped to your head or something, however it would work, and then that's connected to the Neuralink, and then there's tiny little electrodes in the visual cortex, and that camera, the image that it sees, can just be uploaded to your visual cortex and all of a sudden it's like you're using your own eyes. You can restore sight to the blind. That's such a magical thing, right? And then for the rest of us who are mostly pretty healthy, well, you then, then we get to the cool stuff. We could have this conversation without these microphones. Well, actually, no, that's not good because then people wouldn't be able to hear us. But we, if it was not on a podcast and we could just be having a conversation using our minds, not even have to talk. We often do that. <laughs> I sit with Matt sometimes. I know exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You're right. Imagine that. Three of us sitting here. No. Well, that's what it's like seeing, you know, teenagers at the mall mm. sitting around having lunch. They're just talking to each other on their phones. I just won't need a phone anymore. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. We are already cyborgs, right? Except... The machine part of that cyborg yet right now is attached to our limb. Right. Like I mean, probably isn't true for you guys, but if you ask your kids, or especially when they get a bit older, once they get their own phones, or even teenagers today, if you don't have your phone, it's like I'm missing a limb. It's like, uh, uh, what do I do? Like something is missing. It's like I've cut off my hand. Like, uh, um, and that's just kids these days, right? We are all cyborgs. However, the the rate of, of data transmission between the internet and our brain is slow. It has to go through our thumbs, right? And it's like, ugh. But when you put that computer and internet into your head, it's like, when was the pyramid built? Oh, yeah, 4,635 years ago. Cool, yeah, done. Yep. Got it, straight away. It, you know, it's like, and send a message, send an email. Yep, cool. Um, Oh, incredible, right? And that's only just the start. Like, I don't, there's so, the possibilities are extreme. Like, you've got your internet. Essentially, you don't need a phone anymore. You can, no, you, you play, don't need anything. Like, and then that's where the real metaverse thing sort of starts. Like, I was listening to a presentation, Mark Zuckerberg, and he's talking about like some goggles and shit. Like, sure, but that's just, I'm, I'm, it's hard to impress me, you know, right? And like, if you ever used a VR headset, it's like, Oh, this is novel, but it's shit. Mm. It's like this is like, and have you seen the presentation? Like the quality of like their 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 avatars. It's like yeah. It's like I want the real Ready Player One here. You know, like, and that comes from Neuralink. I want to be able to sit in a pod and essentially just like close my eyes. And you're there. And I'm there. And it's like I'm I'm in and I'm playing a game or I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Like that is the ultimate future of this type of metaverse kind of thing. And then obviously this will be optional, voluntary. I mean I. I really hope that it doesn't really take over as much because like, have you seen the where these people live in the real world? It's like a dump, you know, in Ready, in Ready, in Ready Player, Player One. One. In Ready Player One, they all live oh. in like a dump. It's like, I really hope that's not what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I re-watched that uh, video, that movie, when uh, Facebook rebranded uh, Meta. Yeah. I was like, okay, so this is coming down. So what can I go and have a look at what it's like? And I actually saw that and I was like, that's a horrible existence <laughs> for so many people. Yeah. Um, so 
finding the balance and mm. somewhere there and also I, I, like I, I don't mind playing video games every now and again mm. but I also really enjoy going to the pub and having a beer with my mates with real people with the real people so but it's going to be interesting to see the balance of that because you mm. know you just meet your friends all online which if you think of teenagers today mm. then pretty much do the majority of their communicating already all online, all online yeah. so it's not going to be a, a big jump from for them to go from there to there yeah if you talk to my dad and his generation mm. right, no way he ain't going in no metaverse exactly i mean the world is a beautiful place and we really should you know try and go for a walk i mean especially where we live here on the northern beaches beautiful place like out the beaches themselves are just so like who loves going for a swim like everyone you know and it's actually really funny I have a few friends that live like past the Roseville Bridge like on the North Shore the lifestyle is actually quite different it's, it's like, very different it's like that artificial barrier of that bridge it's kind of like do you go to the beach oh, maybe like once once every few months it's kind of like what yeah. I'm there every weekend like you know whenever I can if it's if it's sunny out like if, if it's sunny every day, I'll probably go at some point every day, you know? And I'm, I'm in French's Forest, so it's like 15 minutes, but that's fine. I can go even twice a day if I want to, but like, geez, it'd be nice if I lived like right on the coast, but that's okay. But yeah, like the world is a beautiful place. And I, I whilst the internet is very powerful, uh, I, I, I hope that people still get out and get to see it. And not only the world, but the cosmos is a beautiful place. And I really look forward to a future where we can be among the stars. Um, and I, but the reason why I say I hope is because have you heard of the concept of the great filter? No. No. Yeah, it's it's philosophical, but it and and I encourage everyone to think about this for themselves because at the end I pose a question. So the great filter is this concept. Essentially, it starts from like, why are we the only intelligent species on this planet? really you know like there are some like that are sub intelligent like and you can make a scale going down all the way to like a fish but why are we really the only the species that's developed a society built things used tools and all that like we have passed through this great filter right that filters out a lot of species but whoever gets through it it's like you're that more advanced right and there there's been a few you know um life even forming was a great filter that was like, some say it's a miracle, well, you know, I say it's statistics, but that's okay. Um, and then there's been a few that we've passed through along our evolutionary journey. And you can think of there started being many, many species, fewer, fewer, and now there's just us left that is at this high scale of intelligence. There is a great filter in front of us, and that is being a multiplanetary species, right? That's why I say I hope we can get there because there is a chance that we will die out before we get there. And why I say there's a chance is because, well, why, isn't, why haven't we seen anyone else being a multiplanetary species? And granted, the universe is a very big place. I continue to believe they definitely are out there, but we just haven't seen them because they're so far away. They just haven't had time. But um, even if earth was because the universe is so old as well not only is it big it's old it's, it's unfathomably old and earth formed at a certain point in the universe's life such that like if another planet somewhere else formed a million years earlier or a million years later that difference is just nothing on the scale of the cosmos nothing at all right that could have just that could have just happened however if it formed a million years later and we went to that planet, 
the creatures on that planet would just be like monkeys. And we'd be like, hmm, okay. But if, it formed a, if that planet formed a million years earlier, they would be a million years more advanced than we are now. We don't even know what that looks like. They'd probably all be metal. You know, I don't even know. But we haven't seen them. And so the question is, um, is it better or what is more scary that the great filter is ahead of us or that we are in fact actually, it is behind us? And the reason I say what is more scary is because the consequences of both of those opinions is that if the great filter is ahead of us and we know that this great filter has a certain percentage chance of not letting us pass through, as in we die out before we pass through it being a filter, then that's a scary thing because we most likely won't get through it and then being a multi-planet species is a pipe dream. However, if it is behind us, the scary thing is we're probably the only ones. Mate, I think on that, we might wrap it up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to chew on. I'm going to chew on that one. There, there were a lot of things I'm going to go back and re-listen to, and a lot more. I know so little. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I didn't get to talk about food another time. <laughs> Mate, we will definitely uh, get you back on, Joel. Cool. This was such an awesome chat. Uh, yeah. Mate, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Welcome. Do you have anything to add, buddy? No, mate. I really enjoyed the conversation. Learned a lot. I had a lot of my underlying assumptions challenged, which is, I love that stuff. I love it too. Yep, I love that. I love it when that happens. So I'm going to I'm gonna go away. I'm going to encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast to do the same. Yeah. Just that's, chew on some of this stuff. Process it. That's go what away. learning is yes. about. Right? It's, it's about being proven wrong. Yep. And the smart, I've been, like, I was very humbled one day when I got, when a friend of mine at uni who is, like, objectively smarter than me, like, he is, like, he even got a university medal in physics. He did honors the year before me. And he was working in the same group. <laughs> and he was like always the top of the class and all that. Uh, his name's Ashwin. Was it the Brown Medal, Sydney? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it was just for like his course. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, and because he stayed for a few months later. And he told me, to me, he said, you are the smartest person I know. And I was like... The smartest person I know said to me that he thinks I, I'm the smartest person he knows. And the reason for it was, and we'd had many debates about just different things, but the reason for it is uh, the most underrated quality of a smart person is the ability to accept when they are wrong and change their opinion. That's right. An excellent quality is for you to be have opinions that are strongly held but easily changed. Right? And a lot of people are the opposite of that. They believe things and they can't justify why. And they're just like, no, but I refuse to change. Yep. It's like, okay, I just, I'll probably just stop talking to you now because yep. like, there's no point. Well, that's right. Yeah. And I just think if, if people can just try and be more like that, and that's all about learning. And even if you're wrong or even if you're, you're slightly wrong, be less wrong. The goal is to be less wrong. Yep. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell says it. He says, if we're not doing that on a daily basis, on a regular basis, challenging the underlying beliefs and assumptions that we hold, mm -hmm. we're not human. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Geez, there, are a lot, there are a lot of people out there that are not human then because mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't follow that thinking. You, know? yeah, you, you also <laughs> you stagnate. You don't allow yourself to grow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's painful, but it's work that's worth doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know... My dog, Alan, always looks at me as though I'm the smartest person he's ever met. So it makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks again, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Have a good day. Thanks, Matt. You too. See you later, everybody. Remember, this podcast is not personal advice, but meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. Each host and any guests are providing their own personal opinion and is not providing professional, financial, or any advice. The material provided does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more details, please review our full disclaimer located on our podcast website. Wow, that was a mouthful, but we got there. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon.